Welcome to a special NBA Surprises so far this season edition of the US Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle. If you do want to get in touch with the show, you can get me on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle. Today, Dennis Syatt in Antwerp, Belgium, who is broadcasting two games on Christmas Day. So he is going to be very very busy and the family will love him for that I'm sure he's going to come on and we're going to give each other our top five surprises of the NBA season so far we do not know each other's selections so I'm intrigued to find out if we've crossed over at any points and hear Dennis's surprises let's get to it so as promised one more podcast before the Christmas holidays and everyone is gearing up for four games on Christmas day that's a lot of work trying to get away from the family but Joining me now, we're going to do five surprises each from the NBA season so far. Dennis Syatt in Antwerp. I always say Belgium. I'm going to make it local. How are you doing? Hi, Max. I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm excited because the last pod we did, we kind of scrambled through it. We ran through some topics. But this time, we've actually got a, we've got a plan. We've got a structure. We've got some yes. motivation. It's too long, by the way. Too long? It's, uh, basketball. So, uh, yes. Are you ready for Christmas? That's my first question before we get started. I'm, to- I'm totally ready for qu- Christmas. I, 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 need, I think I need one more present and then I'm, uh, I'm set for the whole family. <laughs> I've got a small family, so we buy presents for everybody. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious uh, what I'm going to get. <laughs> That's what I want to know right now. I, I, yeah, I think I've gotten to an age now where, and that sounds stupid, I'm 25, but I've gotten to an age where I prefer giving presents out. And my mind works in a way where... Same with work. If I've, if I've got two or three things on my list in my head, they won't leave me until I've done them. And Christmas presents is, is worse than that. It's like you have to get every single present sorted and we're running out of time. But anyway, um, we're going to do... F- you, you always spend too much money. I, I oh. do, uh, actually. For my family, that's, that's a big, big problem. But uh, hey. That's how generous you are, my man. Generous. <laughs> um, we... We are going to do five surprises each from the NBA season so far. Uh, so we've tasked each other with this list, and we don't know the others. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm so curious what you what you chose. Yeah, I don't know if I've gone mainstream or not. I think I've I've gone for a mixed bag, uh, and I, I I'm intrigued to see if we've got the same one on a few. So we'll go. We'll start with you, Dennis. What is your first surprise? And I guess you, <laughs> you I guess you can give me your fifth biggest surprise of the NBA season so far. Oh, did I have to rank them? I just got five things. Uh, let me see. What's my number five? Um, it, it's not. It's not really a surprise, actually, uh, because we already <laughs> knew it. But it's a confirmation for me. That's what it is. Um, and I'm surprised by the way it's been happening. But Greg Popovich is a genius. Mm. That's my first first point. Uh, we all knew it. We all knew he was the best coach in the NBA. We knew it for a long time now. Um, he's proven it over and over and over again. But I didn't expect San Antonio to be this good without Kawhi Leonard. All right, he's back now, but he's not yet Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he's playing well, he's playing good, he's showing good things, but he's not playing enough to be the impact player he always used to be for Popovich. But without Kawhi, without a healthy Tony Parker in the first uh, months of the season, with an old Manu Ginobili who suddenly seems 10 years younger again, um, with a LaMarcus Aldridge who's finally finding his own in San Antonio, Greg Popovich just... He pulled it off out of his sleeve again, again. He talked with, with LaMarcus Aldridge this summer and see what, what a difference that made. This team is 22 and 10 right now and they shouldn't be. Or am I wrong? I, was, I haven't got this on my list and I was watching the other day because I'm sad. I was watching the 2005 NBA Finals on YouTube 
Spurs. Wow, 2005. Spurs, Pistons, and you saw Greg Popovich looking slightly younger on the sideline. But what you what you going to your point here? Tony Parker was playing. Manu Ginobili had this lovely hair down to his shoulders. You had players there that are still on this roster now. I think they went 17 and 8 without Kawhi as well. That's incredible. And people haven't spoken about it. No one ever talks about the Spurs. But just like Curry's injury in Golden State might help the Warriors and that young squad, the Spurs have been able to give minutes to Murray, guys like Anderson. I mean, everyone was expecting LaMarcus Aldridge to do a U-turn in the in the offseason. Pau Gasol signed a two-year deal. I was surprised with some of those moves. But... Danny Green gets better every single season. Ginobili's still doing things. I mean, I saw him do a, a Euro step a few weeks ago, which baffled me at 40 years of age. So you're right. Popovich is the best coach in the NBA. He gets as much out as yeah. much out of his teams as he can. And now you've got Kawhi back. They're third in the West, and they're going to be right there. Yeah, they are. And look at players like Brandon Paul and mm. Davis Bertans or Bryn Forbes. Forbes and Brandon Paul, those are two players nobody heard of before. And now they're playing for the Spurs and they're getting significant minutes and they're spending their time well on the court. They're playing within the system, but they're also doing their thing in the right way, I think. Um, they're all making an, an impact. Everybody who plays for San Antonio always makes an impact. And that's what, what impresses me every time because that's something that happens thanks to Popovich because he gets that out of his players. It's just knowing where to be. Knowing where to be at the right spot at the right time. It is. Don't make mistakes. Know your, know the offense and work hard. And hey, Shea Serrano said it best. If if Kawhi Leonard hadn't gone down, I know he's a Spurs fan, the Spurs would have won in five against the Warriors. This is the same team. And, <laughs> and I want to see a healthy Spurs go up against Golden State and Houston again. Anyway, Dennis, what is your second biggest surprise of the NBA season so far? Second big, biggest surprise is... Um, is it a surprise that I say the Minnesota defense? I guess. I expected so much more. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It, it, it was already the case last season. I know that the defense was atrocious. Mm. Um, but I thought another full year under, under Phipps with Jimmy Butler there, with Tyash Gibson there, I thought those guys were going to have an impact on Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Um, we all expected so much from San Antonio, and they're fourth in the West right now, so that's, that's not that bad. But... Their defense is being terrible, has been terrible, really terrible. Um, missed rotations, no communication on defense. Um, and especially Townsend Wiggins, they don't know what they're doing. They get lost, even in years three and four. Um, they're wobbly on their feet. They jump to fakes. They allow backdoors. Come on, those are basic defensive skills. You have to know that when you're 15, 16 years old, don't jump when somebody fakes. Keep your feet on the ground. And it's just... Yeah, it's just awkward sometimes. They played, what was it, Philadelphia last week? And Ben Simmons had two backdoors because Towns and Wiggins just didn't know what they were doing. They were not looking at each other, not looking at their man, not looking at the ball. They weren't communicating. And it's like that every game. And I didn't expect that at first from Wiggins and Towns because I thought they were going to be decent defenders. But I didn't expect that Thibodeau wouldn't have an impact on his players like that. I thought he would have changed that defense and... Yeah, that makes me wonder, is the FIPS effect, uh, has it been uh, worn out? Well, it's something to be said as well. There's something to be said about an eight-man rotation and how that affects the defense. That's right? true. Because that's true. if you've got three, ble three bench players and you're refusing to use anyone else, you're going to be tired. Now, I, I agree with you. I thought Butler coming in, Towns and Wiggins would step up. 
Butler has added one thing that they didn't have last year, and that is a fourth quarter closer because mm. two big weaknesses of the T-Wolves last season were defense and finishing games. They lost so many games in the fourth quarter because they're young and you, you expect that, you acknowledge it, it's fine. This year, they had to make the pay- playoffs. They're in position to do so. But with an eight-man rotation, Butler carrying them, and also the superstar of that team not being able to draw out defense from Towns and Wiggins. If you want to be a superstar in this league, and I'm going to make a point about a certain player who made nine first-team all-defense selections during his career, you have to want to be a very good defender. You want to have to be a great defender. Towns can be a revolutionary player, but he has to do it on the defensive end. But... Thibodeau, to your point as well, he's surprised me because the way he's coaching at the moment, I love him, he's raw on the sidelines, he's loud, but he's got to sort out this rotation. You can't expect the Timberwolves, who wouldn't be so far up if the West wasn't worse this season. I mean, I, I just, I'm just confused by how he's running that team. And eventually, if you've got guys that can't really shoot the three ball and aren't playing defense, you're not going to win in the playoffs. I totally agree, totally agree. Look at those minutes. Sounds 36 minutes a game. Butler, 37. Wiggins, 37. Teague, 34. Gibson, 33. That's too much. That's just too much. And they laugh it away, the players. Yeah, they laugh with it. I'm just going to ask if he plays me less. Uh, less. It is important. What if something happens to one of those players? They also, The season is still long, and we're only 30 games in, and they're already playing playoff minutes. And like you said, He's rotating with eight players. That's not enough. That's just not enough. And yeah, the problem is the bench isn't that good. Aaron Brooks washed up. Shabazz Muhammad not good enough. Tyus Jones, nah. You uh, give him Cole Aldrich money. And, and, and just on that quickly, Wiggins, he, uh, it, it sounds weird because he is older, I think. But he could be Jalen Brown, but a better scorer. Because he, yes, he could be. he's got he could that be. body. He's got the exact same body as Jalen Brown, but Brown he should be wants better, to defend. Right? That's the difference. Wiggins could de- he, should... he could defend across all positions. He, he did like he did that at Kansas. Mm. He was a good defender in college, and I expected him to be better right now, especially when Thibodeau came in. So that's why I'm surprised. And if I had to choose last year before I knew anything about Jalen Brown, I would be saying uh, I mean I would take Andrew Wiggins a hundred times out of out of a hundred. Now I don't know. I think I would take Jalen Brown anytime. Actually, I think the 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 other issue we have here, and we we have to be careful, is that Minnesota aren't a big market. They've got what fourteen seasons out the playoffs, and no matter how good Towns has been and how good Wiggins is as a scorer, we just pay more attention to the Celtics anyway. So we are seeing Tatum and Brown more. But one thing Towns does that's really frustrating if you watch him is when a, when a player comes to the paint and shoots from close range, Towns will try and block the shot really late. So when he goes up to block really late and he misses, say the shot misses and the ball comes down for a rebound, Towns is still in the air and coming down, which means his another player, another opponent, can grab the rebound and put it back in. So it's things like that he has to work on. Um, yeah, those are, those are basic mistakes and they make it every time. And yeah, I, I don't like that. I'm going to give you my first surprise of the yes, season. And it's quite topical because of what happened on Monday. And I think it's people forgetting Kobe Bryant so quickly and disregarding him in all-time lists. Now, I bring this up. I bring this up because it's fun with you because you're a Michael Jordan. You're a pro-Jordan here. And I'm not going against Jordan here. My point is for Kobe. But I've got a question at the end. So... I think you always got your money's worth with, with Bryant. He, I mean, he tore his Achilles once and asked the trainer to tape it up. That's a badass right there. He finished mm-hmm. his free throws and then he went out of the game. 
18 all-star selections, nine defensive first-team selections. He got the most out of his career. And I think he was a... Just let me finish. I think he was a better scorer, not a player than Michael Jordan. He's not top five, maybe top 10, certainly top 15. But if you look at the numbers, I mean, making $330 million on the court, 81 points in 2006, four straight 50-point games in 07, 60 in his last game. MJ was Kobe's constant reminder, constant motivation. Whatever Kobe did, Jordan had already done it, and he, he played like him. He had his tongue out. He shot like him. The closest we've seen to MJ. And with the ceremony on Monday, I couldn't help but think... Bryant's only been out of the league for a couple of years and he was talking about this current Lakers roster and I think they were inspired by it and they put up a good show against the the, Rock, uh, the Warriors and they beat the Rockets last night. They looked good and Kobe just pushed them forward and I'm just surprised how quickly we've forgotten about Bryant and, and when we talk about the best players of all time, LeBron, Michael, Magic, Kareem, they all come up. Kobe has already, having retired in 2015, whatever it was, I think he's already lost lost out in the conversation. Um, and the, the question I had for you was, with today's rules, would you rather have Jordan and Pippin or Shaq and Kobe? Today's with rules. today's rules, I, w- I would I would choose Jordan and Pippin because defensively, you've got two guys who can who can press the team up. You can you can start at half court, press them up all the way with those two guys with their long arms, like they did in the first three years. They were. Uh, dangerous team in defense they were so good um like that i think michael jordan and scotty pippen would have developed their, their shot more like they did because they didn't have to mm. back in the 90s that was a different time a different age look at kobe he was a different player when he came into the league his first five six seven years he was a different player at number eight than he was with number 24 number 24 had a better shot had a better three-point shot because he practiced practiced on that um i agree with I you i would take those two but 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 let me be let me be clear if you've got Shaq, you change the whole game. Doesn't matter what's happening. Doesn't matter in what period you're, you're playing. If you've got got Shaq, it changes everything. He's the most dominant player ever, I think. Um, even more dominant than Will Chamberlain. The issue so, on today's rules, though, is you would have to... I Because I'm taking Jordan and Pippen in today's rules. I'm taking Shaq and Kobe in the old days. But if you mm-hmm. do have Shaq, you have to build around Shaq. So That's it. In, today, in today's game, if it was a question of Kobe or Shaq, I'd take Kobe because he would develop the three, as you say. That's true. But I, I don't agree w- with what you're saying about that we're forgetting Kobe Bryant. Um, I, don't, I don't feel it like that because look at what every player in the NBA now still says about Kobe, how they, how they yeah, tweet about him, how they adore him, his career and what he's meant for them. DeMar DeRozan talks about Kobe in every interview, I think, because he helps <laughs> him develop his footwork. Um, there's so many guys who look up to Kobe, not only, not only in basketball. Look at, look at football. Romelu Lukaku, for example, his biggest example, his, his idol is Kobe Bryant. Mm. He taught him how to work hard, and that's, that's been Kobe's um, yeah, biggest skill, his work ethic has been wonderful. Now, my, pl- really. my point really was not because players love him, they adore him. It's media, it's fans. I really believe that the... Con- and I get it. Look, current players will take you forward. Curry, LeBron at the moment, Kevin Durant, Giannis is the new flavour. But Kobe, for me, it, when you have a discussion with a basketball fan about all-time players, I don't mm. know whether it was because... Because, look, Jordan was, Jordan was fascinating and he was, he was adored... But he was actually an awful human being, and Kobe Bryant was the same. Is the same way, 
But for social media, social exactly. media nobody, nobody exactly. saw what, what Michael Jordan was doing My, and everybody saw what Kobe did. Exactly. Um, but, and that's why I'm saying I think people, <laughs> people are letting that creep into the Bryant argument. But isn't that the same with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? If you talk about mm. the greatest players ever, Kareem never comes up. Never. It's weird, isn't it? He's been the top scorer of uh, all time. Nobody has scored more points in the NBA than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's had the most unstoppable shot that was ever created with the skyhook. And we all forget that too. So I think there's a link in that. Uh, but one thing you said, Kobe isn't a better scorer than Michael Jordan. He is. Not at all. Just, <laughs> just look at his percentages. Never shot over 50% in his career. Never. He's a gunner. Not He's a gunner. Once. <laughs> Not once. He never shot over 47%. 47. I said scorer, not shooter. Yeah, but that's the same thing. No, it's not. But yeah, Kobe wasn't that much of a shooter in his first years. He did it. What, what did he take? Two, three pointers a game. The first time he shot more than five three pointers a game was in 2005. He was drafted in 96. Michael, so, Michael, could, Michael could probably average 45 with today's rules. He, I think one season he averaged 36 or 37 points a game. But if you, I think all around with the three, with everything inside, I think Kobe was a better scorer. At shooting, like he was a terrible shooter really because his percentages were so low. But that's because he took, sometimes took over 40 shots a game. I just think the way Bryant uh, evolved his game, I think he's a better scorer than Michael. Uh, I think, I think you, you underestimate the evolution Michael Jordan made in his career if it comes to scoring. Look at the first years. Um, he, he had to dribble to the free throw line to get a shot off because he didn't have the range back then. He expanded that range. He was the most athletic, athletic player I have ever seen, to, at least ha with how to use his uh, athleticism um, to score. And then he came back after his baseball uh, vacation and he changed his game totally. He became the most lethal jump shooter that was that ever played. Don't mean three-point shooting, but just regular jump shot. So and that was my, uh, that, don't, that, don't agree with that's that. That's fine. You don't have to agree. And that was my <laughs> that was my last point on Kobe was he, he also had two careers. And I love the fact yeah, that's true. 10 seasons with number eight, 10 seasons with 24. You've seen the number already. It was six, 16,866 with eight, 16,777 with 24. And he he evolved again because... I think coming into the league with Shaq as number eight, he was the number two guy. Going to 24, he had a completely different career. He had to win with Gasol, Bynum. He just changed his game. And, I mean, going on to my second point now, because we always spend too much time on Jordan and Kobe. <laughs> um, we've got a tweet from Glenda Hollander who said, he, his surprise sending in Pelicans from Alvin Gentry to be fired first to, hmm, is this actually working real quick? And that that moves me nicely into my... Second surprise, which was David Fisdale getting fired. And last season, unbelievably, Dennis, no coaches were fired in the NBA. Yeah, that was weird. Second this year was a shocker, Fisdale. Now, general manager Chris Wallace said at the time, full steam ahead. You know, But I don't believe everything you hear. He said he wasn't going to trade his key assets, which were Gasol and Conley, obviously. I think they can trade one of or both. Now, my point here is Fisdale is perfect for not just a good team, but also a rebuild. Lots of players were unhappy when he was let go with the decision. No front office support during his reign. What you need in this situation is a front office member saying to Mark Gasol when he's whining about Fisdale, is shut up, go back to the locker room and get on with it. And that's what Fisdale said on the jump, exactly that quote. And also Memphis said at the time, they did this to save their season. 
How about a new Achilles for Mike Conley? Because <laughs> firing Fisdale has done absolutely nothing to... This is just going down the tubes now. And last year, you got rid of Tony Allen. You got rid of Zach Randolph. So you got rid of the ground and pound game that we loved. I think they had the guy, Fisdale. And they were winning with Ennis, Chalmers, Evans. He was doing a lot with a, a very average team. So my final point here really is, for once... And it's a players' league. We all acknowledge that. I think for once the long-term benefits of keeping a coach over your best, well, your second best player, I think, was was better for this team, and I think they've gone the wrong way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I wasn't, I didn't feel the the dismission of uh, Fisdale. Didn't understand why they did that too. Okay, I know Gazol ha- had a problem with Fisdale. Don't know why because everybody seems to love the guy. Um, one of my co-hosts, Thomas van der Spiegel, he played summer league. What was it, 14 years ago? And he still remembered Fizdale as one of his assi- assistant coaches back then. And he said he was a great guy, great coach, great assistant coach back then. Look at what LeBron and Dwayne Wade said about him uh, all those years in Miami when he was uh, Eric Spolster's assistant. Fizdale has proved himself to be a good coach. And look, like you said, what he did with that team, he started players like, what was it, Brooks, Joel Martin. He started players that normally weren't going to be in the NBA Dylan Brooks. Half the roster was not a bad NBA player. He's not a starter in the NBA. What did Thomas say? Did he have any specific stories about Fisdale? That's really interesting. No, it, it was too long ago for that. <laughs> <laughs> he he forgot uh, really specific stories, but he he just remembered Fisdale being a real nice guy and being really close to his players and being a talented coach. He, you you just feel that he knew the game, that he knew what was going on and what uh, had to happen on the field and how we had to translate that to his players. Um, and that's a that's a big quality, I think. And if Margazol doesn't know how to handle Fisdale or he doesn't agree with how he works or he just doesn't like him, yeah, stuff like that happens. And I, I don't like the way it all played out. And I think, yeah. It was very un-Memphis, right? It was very... Yeah, that, that's Gasol, true. Gasol, I think, is so comfortable in that city, having been there even before he was with the Grizzlies in high school, that I think he felt to a point that he could do anything. And and in the summer, he turned down a move to the Spurs. He could have won. He could have gone and won somewhere else. And, and you, you, you listen to him on podcasts when he was making this decision, and it was really important that Memphis laid out the plan for him. Long term, we're going to win here. Did he really think that the Grizzlies were going to challenge for a title? And and now that he, if, he is a, if he is on the block to be traded, if I'm a team looking at Gasol... Is this a guy that really wants to win? Because he ended up staying in Memphis, and now he's driven mm-hmm. out the coach. I just don't like that. And I don't like I don't like that too. And I, and I don't understand why he thought he would be able to win mm. in Memphis, even with Conley healthy. That was just something masterful that they were putting together. They only had Conley and Gasol as go-to guys. Um, they had they gave go-to guy money to Chandler Parsons, oh, <laughs> who's man. been washed up for three years now. Yeah, but. The, that's that's a big deal. That's a problem for Memphis. That contract and the bad deals they made. And there's not Fisdale. And there's the point, right? Your coach did as much as he could with what he had. And and although he pronounced it wrong, take that for data. That is the closing the closing <laughs> line on this. Now, um, hey, you, you, you take that for data was cool, but I liked the sentence. They're not gonna rook us. That was the best thing. Of the whole press conference when he said that. That was cool. They're not going to rook us. Oh, that was so cool. You had so many people in uh, in England trying to do comment pieces on that. And, and I said data. And I, I, I immediately regretted it. I couldn't say data. But 
I you know anyway that's just my that's my ignorance to American anyway uh what is what is your uh what is your third surprise of the NBA season this rookie class we all know we all knew it was going to be a good one right but what surprises me and what bothers me and I'm guilty to it too actually but we're all judging them way too early and I don't understand why we do that uh, long biggest example even Markel Fultz the guy played what is it three four games and we're all everybody's already saying oh he could be a bust <laughs> give the guy some time to play give the guy some time to get on the court and to prove himself just like Lonzo Ball give him some time to get into his own are we all forgetting that Paul George Jimmy Butler Yanis Antetokounmpo they had some time to develop they weren't that good in their first year in the first two years um, I'm a critical guy too but you can't say that that rookie or that player is a bust after only 30 games. And everybody's doing that more and more and more. And that really bothers me, especially when we're talking about the top five in the draft. Well, Indiana fans back in the day wanted Steve Olford. They didn't want Reggie Miller. And now Knicks, mm-hmm. Knicks fans wanted, they didn't want Chris Stapps Porzingis. It happens. They wanted Justice Winslow. It, exactly. It happens so much. And, I, and I, we, we have to remember how old these players are. Now, Lonzo Ball... Is, has scared me offensively. He's worried me a little bit with his shot, but he's going to be a very good NBA player because of what he can do. And he's very, very young. Uh, you're right. Ben Sim- Some guys just naturally take to the league. Ben Simmons is one of them. Joel Embiid is one of them. You're right. I agree with you. Rookies get a lot, have a lot of pressure on them. Chris Dunn is someone who we, yeah. we amped up and said, oh, that's a great pick by the T-Wolves. Fantastic. Now he's in Chicago and we've kind of forgotten about him. So Yeah, look look at how a shot can change. Do, I, I mean, I know Lonzo Ball's shot is terrible right now. Everybody's talking about it. the form and he can't dribble to uh, to his right over a screen because then the defender always gets the ball. It's true. He never shoots going to the right because he can't because he takes the ball to his left. But that doesn't mean he can't change it over the summer. NBA trainers, NBA coaches are, are amazing in what they do. Look at what look he at is how doing, though. Players develop. I mean, Chris Dunn is an example of that. It's a good name that, that you just said because Chris Dunn didn't have a shot last year. Look at what he's done this summer with Fred Hoiberg and the Chicago trainers. He's got a decent shot right now. He totally changed that. And he's making his shots too. Speaking of rookies, Dennis, Carl Kuzma, 38 last night against the Rocket. He, I said before the season, he could be the best rookie on the Lakers. And he is. Like, he, is he is the best he rookie. He's so good. He's confident. He shoots the ball. And... He just looks calm beyond his years, and I know Luke Walton is, is trying to work out so many different pieces there. He's got Randall coming off the bench. Kuzma's had to, he's gone from a bench role to a starting role, back to the bench, but he is going to be good. He, the Lakers are so glad that a lot of teams passed on him. A kid from Utah, I mean, who would have thought? They should it? thank New Jersey, uh, New Jersey, I mean Brooklyn. They should yeah, the thank trade. Brooklyn for Kuzma. And a lot of other teams that didn't take him. Yeah, that's true, that's true. But he's not the only one. I think Kuzma, Donovan Mitchell, and um, <laughs> Jason Tatum have one thing in common. They're all playing like veteran players. Those three, those three rookies are playing like they've been playing in the NBA for four years. Mitchell is freakishly quick off his first step, and he's shot. He, he's just hoppy, like a beer. And he's strong. He's yeah. really strong physically, too. If you, you don't expect him to be that quick if you look at how his, his body's built. He's got broad shoulders. He's... He's a strong guy, but then you see him going to the cup and you can see, like you said, he's got a really quick first step and the way he catches those lobs. He catches them with, the, with two hands and then rams them through the hoop with one. Oh, I love to watch that. And ma- massively important for the, the Jazz because the, the Rubio thing 
wasn't working at the start because he's so used to being surrounded by scorers and good scorers that he was all of a sudden shooting the ball way more than he should have, didn't look good early, and then Donovan Mitchell suddenly comes out of nowhere. You can take Rubio out. Mitchell can play either guard spot, so that helps. He can also run off screens, and Rubio can find Mitchell, and you needed to fill that void left by Hayward. So he uh, he's looking good right now. And, and He's a go-to guy, right? Every, yeah. Remember when we were talking about Utah before the season and we were wondering who was going to be the go-to guy? Who was going to score for Utah? It can only be Rodney Hood. He's the only one who can score. No, apparently it's Donovan Mitchell. He's the go-to scorer for Utah. Before I give you my uh, third surprise, we've just talked about Kuzma and we just talked about Mitchell. Now, I know the literal answer is yes, but <laughs> yes or no, just to you, is Ben Simmons a rookie? Yes, ah, he is ah, on the court. Okay, l- l- come on. Let me let me finish. Come on. He is on the court. Okay, yeah. He is I on agree. the court. I agree, I agree. He didn't play basketball last season, so he's a rookie on the court, but he had the experience to live on his own for a year. He knew the system. Travel with the team to know what it feels like to be in an NBA environment because that's not easy. You have to be an adult all of a sudden when you're only 19 years old. Um, I couldn't imagine myself being 19 and um, yeah, traveling around from city to city, having nothing to do with a lot of money. That's not that easy. That's not that easy at all. And Are you that feeling bad for Ben Simmons? I don't feel bad for Ben Simmons. <laughs> I, just, I say it, it helps him that he's had that experience, that he's had that year before. That's why um, I don't think he's a rookie. And I, I honestly think Kuzma and Mitchell deserve it more because that you come in blind. Simmons knew the system. He knew his teammates. He spent time with Brett Brown. He was ready to go. And uh, I know he's a rookie on the court. I just don't think this rule, it's strange to me that he's still a rookie. It's like Blake Griffin. Yeah. He also missed his first year. He had the chance to get used to the life life in the NBA. Um, And he had a great rookie season, just like Simmons. And just like Blake Griffin, Simmons is going to win Rookie of the Year, whatever happens. I'm not sure. uh, Yeah, he's going to win Rookie of the Year for sure. Um, My third surprise, and I'm going to go with for this one, (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to talk about the Toronto Raptors. That the Raptors didn't become irrelevant is a is a big surprise to me. So they have a traditional lineup in the sense that their big man isn't very modern. Their best scorer doesn't shoot threes, although he did shoot three for four last night against the uh, the, the Hornets. Um, they gave four year deals to Lowry and Ibaka, which I thought like, I thought Lowry was going to go, and all the talk three, three years for uh, Lowry, three years, three sorry, years, one hundred yeah. millions, yeah. All the talk. Well, I think they were they were they didn't give them the huge five year max, which was which was important. But Lowry was talked that he was going to go somewhere else last summer. They they've had this youth movement, which has really sustained the old guard and not seen it wash out because we have been in this Raptors era for a while now, so. You know, London's born Ananobi. He's starting, which is really impressive. Then you've hey, he's got, good. He's, he's, he's good. He's very good. Youngsters, Norman Powell, we know about. But Poulter looks better. He's a smart player. Van Fleet, Delon Wright, Siakam. So to, to have to watch them, I had to watch them some more. But I expected them to regress. And that this era seemed to have run its course. But 21-8, and eight, second in the East. And the, the biggest point to make, Dwayne Casey has just evolved as a coach. Every single season, we ask the question, when is it time for Katie to step down? All these mm-hmm. clo- all these seven-game playoff series, you know, Larry and DeRozan not performing in the playoffs. Well, Casey has a lot to answer for, and he changed the offense. He gave in, almost, to old-school basketball. And, and now, and I've got some numbers for you before you have your point. So this is going to scare you a little bit. The Raptors, fourth 
in offensive rating, fourth in field goal percentage, third in plus minus, tenth in pace, points scored in the league, Golden State number one, Houston number two, Raptors are number three in points scored, 111.6. They shoot the sixth most threes a game. This is crazy. And that's more than Golden State, by the way. 31.6 threes a game is more than Golden State. So that, that offense has changed completely. That's true. And you forget the most important stat, actually. The assists. 23.4 assists per game. They're mm. eighth in the NBA right now. Last season, they, they were dead last because they were always going to isolations, one-on-one situations. That was That's what Lowry and DeRozan did. And that's why they had so much problems in the playoffs because everybody knew what was coming. They were going to go one-on-one. They weren't going to pass the ball. They were going to go straight to the hoop without any help, without rotation, without ball movements. And that changed after the, the sweep last season against Cleveland. Masai Ujiri, um, the president of basketball operations, he said, we have to change our culture. We have to change how we're playing. We have to become a, a modern NBA team. Just like you said, Dwayne Casey changed his offense because he had to. Ujiri told him to change it. It's not that easy, I think, to do that as a coach because you have to put your ego aside to, yeah, to, to make that overhaul, to change that, uh, that offense. And it did, it did it in a great way. And I think the assists, they say it all. They make the point that they move the ball right now. And everybody does so. And everybody also has a, has a three-point shot, except for DeMar DeRozan. He says he has one, but he doesn't want to take them. That's, of course, that's BS, because if you have a, a three-point shot and you're <laughs> open, you take it. Well, everybody the, does. Yajiri went against the grain, almost, because he didn't, get, he didn't bring in a huge free agent. He didn't panic. He didn't sell off his best assets for cash. He could have gone. He could have given. De, someone would have taken DeRozan's contract somewhere. But he st- he stood pat with his two key players, and the fact that they're six in defensive rating in the league that tells me that these young players are doing a lot because they're scrambling. They mm-hmm. they run, they move, and that's a big a, that's a big key to why that all their numbers. If you look across the board. Everything shot up, so credit to Hujiri for basically not cleaning house and giving up on this era. So, and, and that's them. what makes it impressive that they do this with the same core of core players. Yeah. They only lost what was it, Corey Joseph, and PJ Tucker, and they only got CJ Miles. That's the only, those are the only differences, the only changes they made. Um, the core players are still the same, but they changed their way of playing. And I think it's yeah, credits for Hujiri, credits for. Um, Dwayne Casey as a coach, but also we have to credit the the group of players for wanting to make that change and being able to do so. It's done by committee, right? Because they don't really have a defender that in the playoffs it's going to be tricky because they don't have someone who can shut you down. But by committee is what they're doing. Um, Okay, so we haven't crossed paths yet. What is your number four surprise for this season, Dennis? The Indiana Pacers won the Paul George trade. Oh my gosh! We finally got something we agree on. We've got. I've got that as well. It's it's such a surprise for me. We knew it after was it ten fifteen games that Indiana didn't um, did a didn't do a bad job with the trade, but they keep improving. They're eighteen and fourteen right now. That's not really good, but that's much better than I I thought before the season. And the main reason is Victor Oladipo, just him, the way he leads the team, the confidence he plays with. He just takes everybody on their back and look at his stats. What is it? Um, He's playing 34 minutes a game, 25 points per game, four assists, 1.8 steals. He's got a 48% field goal percentage, um, 43% from behind the three-point line. And just the way he does it. This is 
Nate McMillan's team, the head coach, but they're not playing Nate McMillan basketball. He wants to play old-school basketball, not this up-tempo game, mm. but it's working, and they are playing good basketball, and they're really fun to watch most of the times. Um, and if you compare that with OKC and what Paul George is going through over there, he's still shooting really badly, and that's not the first year. Uh, his field goal percentages have been bad the last seasons, actually. Everybody's overlooking that because he's such a likable guy and he's such a good defender and he always makes he, he can often make the right basketball plays but that boy makes <laughs> takes some bad bad shots. Um, it's not always his fault because he's playing with Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook, two of the guys you don't want to play with in the NBA. Apparently, uh, we all thought it and it's being confirmed night after night, night after night. But I want to be positive, not negative about OKC. I want to be positive about the Indiana Pacers and um, Pritchett. The general manager, he took a risk by trading Paul George. At least he took a risk. He had to do it because he was going to leave anyway after this season. But Victor Oladipo and Domantas Sabonis, is that enough? Yes, it is enough. Domantas Sabonis is a center, not a power forward, not a stretch four um, like OKC used him last season. He's a center. Put him on the block, give him the ball down, um, down on the block, let him pass from there just like his father did. He's great doing that. He's, he's, he's a strong guy. He's only six foot ten, I think, but he's strong and big enough to make his point in the paint. And then, yeah, Oladipo. Um, finally becoming the guy we thought he was going to be when he played for the Hoosiers. And this was, mine, this was my fourth surprise as well. And my first question to you was going to be, do you remember what you thought about Indiana when they made the trade? Like, you know, you, you, you didn't spare a thought for Oladipo or Sabonis. You, you didn't... I, I, thought, I thought 25 wins, 30 wins. Yeah, with Nate McMillan still there... You've lost mm-hmm. your only superstar. You've also lost the, 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 the realisation comes to the fore that you didn't do anything really with George. You got to a couple of conference finals, but ultimately you didn't win anything and it all just seemed to be falling apart. It all seemed like Indiana, what have they really got back? And that Pritchard, you mentioned him, they had this deal with, with Kevin Love, Denver, Gary Harris. There was three teams involved and it was about to, Paul George was about to go to Cleveland and it was pulled off. And you looked at that and, and, and Pritchard just wasn't satisfied with what he was getting back. And maybe he saw in Oladipo, who is now playing like a number two pick, maybe he had just understood that getting him away from Russell Westbrook and also Sabonis, who every time he caught a pass from Westbrook last year, looked petrified because if he didn't hit the, <laughs> if he didn't hit the shot, you know, the assist was coming off the board and Oladipo... Give me my stats! Give, give me, me my, my stats. stats! Oladipo is... Is now is Paul George now, where your stats are massively affected by Westbrook, and you know what? You've been nice, so I'm going to go really negative on the on the Thunder. Who, <laughs> but but who, actually, I can't really because you know why? Because they're the West is so bad this year. They're already six seeded now. Everyone was saying, oh, they're going to miss the playoffs. They're not going to miss the playoffs, but they are the best rated defensive team in the league. And yeah, but that, and that's that, a fake that, number. It helps though because if you know you've got that as a building block. Everyone's saying eventually the offense is going to work its way out. Well, why don't they listen to Shaquille O'Neal, who said eventually the three of them are going to have a talk. They have to decide who's number one, who's number two, and who's number three. Well, in my opinion, Carmelo Anthony has to understand that he could be a sixth man. He will never not start. That is the problem. He's acknowledged that he has to pass the ball more and fit into Billy Donovan's offense more, but he will never take himself from the bench. That's the biggest problem here. Is he still playing the same way he always has? And Paul George is standing on the side, on the on the wing. Russell Westbrook finds Mello. The extra pass is there. Is he going to give it or not? And Paul George looks stuck in the mud. 
But defensively, that's why I still hold out positivity because if they can sustain that, they're huge bodies, they can swarm teams, they can double team really well. If they can just work out how to move the ball more, how to share it more, and if Melo's ego can drop just an iota, then they're still a decent team and a scary team in the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's kind of true, but I don't totally agree with the defense because, yeah, then defensive numbers are good. They are great defensive numbers, but if you look at how they defend, that defense doesn't look that good. They make too much mistakes, especially in the clutch. I don't trust that defense because you've got Carmelo Anthony, lousy defender. You've got Russell Westbrook, bad defender too. He, he, it looks like he's putting in effort, but mm. he doesn't. He doesn't play defense. That's a problem. So the numbers may be good, but... If it's, cl- if it's crunch time and Mello and Westbrook are on the court, you've got three defenders. You've got Paul George, Stephen Adams, and Robeson. Yeah. And you've got four players who can play offense because Robeson, look at what he did uh, against, was it against Philly. The, the, the layup he missed. Sorry, man, but even you and I scored that layup. Oh, the, yeah. In, in, the, in the last second. We don't miss that. Nobody missed. He's an NBA player. Come on, man, dunk it. You're six foot eight. That, that, that's, that, that's one. And my second point, yes. It's a problem for George. He's stuck in the mud. Yes, Melo is an isolation player and he doesn't want to fit in and he has to come off the bench. I totally agree with that. But maybe, maybe Russell Westbrook should move without the ball just one time in a game. Can you, just once. Did you see that? Just once. Imagine if he could run off screens and be more of an off-the-ball player. How good, how scary he would be. Like He, he does everything on the ball, in the pick and roll. He does everything with his second guy. It's a great point you make. Because he... He could he can basically free, he can help Paul George more in that situation. He can free him up by running off the ball. With his speed, just imagine him cutting to the basket. Mm. He would he would score 15 points a game, I think, just by catching the ball and dunking it through and one. Make, catching the ball exactly. and one. Exactly. And you would make Camelo and Paul George better passes. At the moment, Russell Westbrook only cuts to the basket with the ball and he and he tends to give it up to Adams. You're, it's a great yeah. it's a great point. And if he doesn't have the ball, he's just standing between the three-point line and the, and, and the half-court line and just watching the offense. He watches and that's the not offense. Good. And that's what they've turned into at the end of games. The ball mm-hmm. doesn't move. The, it, the ball that's true. does and not I think, move. I think it's also a sign. Um, it also says something about Kevin Durant and about what a special player he is to, to play with. Because look at how OKC was having success with Durant and Westbrook. Because Durant could handle the way Westbrook played and he could find a way to coexist with him even though it all, didn't always look that pretty it was successful and that says a lot about the KD in my eyes it, if we, you look at does. how we said I mean I, I remember we both said I think that with George and Anthony they are very close if not as clo- the same as they were when they had Durant but actually they've regressed and yeah. but I would say to, to end positively is if you watch the Warriors game, and that's for me, that's the best rivalry in the NBA. Not Warriors, Cavs, Warriors, Thunder. Every time they go into that building, something happens. But if you see how they played that game, they won the game, they were up for it, they all played well. If they get into the playoffs, which I'm sure they will, then they're just a threat. They just are a threat. If everything clicks, they are a very scary team. And that's what I'm saying is it, you judge a team in New Year, right? You're going to judge the Cavs when they have Thomas back. You're going to judge the Warriors when they're fully healthy. Judge the Thunder on January the 10th. And if their record is still hovering around 500, this is just what they're going to be. But in the playoffs, they're a different animal, I think. Uh, I don't know. I, I hope for the excitement in the playoffs that they are going to be. 
but I'm afraid they're not. Uh, I'm afraid that they're going to, if they co- if they come up against a team like Golden State or Houston, it's going to be a five game series at most. Because you're going you're going to have that one crazy Westbrook game. Paul George isn't playing good enough this year. I was I was listening to I think it was uh, the Ringer show and they were of all the Bill Simmons podcast and it was they were uh, talking about the best 20 or 25 players in the NBA. And none of the OKC players has to be on that list right now. They can't because they aren't. They aren't good enough. They're just playing badly, and that yeah, they, that's that's not good enough. That's not going to make it. Not against the good teams. I don't know if Westbrook has figured out. I love how we made a point. Both made a point about Indiana. We're now talking. We're still not talking about Indiana. They're still very vanilla. Um, but Westbrook is a great basketball player. He probably brings more energy than anyone, but. He still hasn't figured it out. He still hasn't figured winning out yet. And, and, he, and he, he gave time for George and Anthony to bed in. But nothing seems to have evolved. And, I mean, you, I, you have to blame all parties for that. It, it's an AAU team. That's what it is. That's true. Um, totally agree. Totally agree. Your last surprise of the NBA season so far. Yes, Nikola Mirotic for MVP. Oh my God! <laughs> hey, they want they as we speak. By the way, just before you make your point, seven in a row. But they have the Cavs tonight, so the streak might end. Eight in a row. Eight in a row. <laughs> Jeez. What's going? No, seven in a row. I don't know what happened. Seven in a row. They were th- three and twenty. They were three and twenty. <laughs> uh, my prediction before the season was they're not going to win more than twenty games. Now they've already got. Got 10 wins, so <laughs> I didn't expect that at all. Um, the one-two punch, um, pun intended, Mirotic and, uh, and Portis <laughs> seems to be working. And look at his numbers since Mirotic has come back. Um, seven games in a row, uh, seven wins, 20 points per game. Uh, what is it? 7.5 rebounds per game, 50% field goal percentage, 50% from three. And he's number seven in player efficiency rating. Number seven. You know why though, right? He wants to leave. <laughs> so he's playing, he's playing this well and he's suddenly a leader because he knows that someone will pick him up. He doesn't want to be yeah, in Chicago. That's true, that's true. But he's also finally playing like the Mirotic uh, I was watching at Real Madrid. All he's it finally took playing. was someone to smack him in the face. <laughs> he just needed that. <laughs> he just needed to, be, to wake up. Wake up, Nicola. <laughs> uh, but he finally plays like, like the Real Madrid one, like the one who was MVP in the EuroLeague, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I'm just, I don't know what to say about that. I'm lost for words sometimes if you look at that team. Um, could you build, I, could I, you build around Miritic and Markkinen? And should, no. And should, they, no. should, they, should they start losing and understand that they could build around those two with some more players? Or should they get rid of, or should Miritic be, be gone and they build around Markkinen? Done, but even start losing. I, I didn't expect them to win at all. Anyway, I expect them to lose again after this, this fluke or what's happening right now. I, I I don't know what's happening really. I'm 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 really confused by it um, because they don't have the roster to be winning at all. They should be a 2025 win team, and then they should have the number one or two pick next year and go for Bagley or Doncic. I didn't see this coming at all, and finally. Fred Hoiberg's offense is coming into his own, what we were expecting when Steady he came on. from college. And it is true. It's true. Th- these players try to execute what he wants to see, and it's been happening. Portis is starting to fulfill his potential. We've already talked about Chris Dunn. His shot looks better. He's playing better, too. Um, Zach Levine is coming back now. Laudy Markkinen is back from his, uh, from his back injury. 
Um, still not a big fan of Markkinen. I still think he's not good enough. I think he can be some kind of Barniani type of player who can have good stats on a bad team. But now they've got seven games in a row, so props to them. And the fans feel so bad for him, Miritich. They're shouting his name. And <laughs> he's been so quiet in three years with the team. And, and what it took to make him a leader were basically the, the Bulls cleaning house and then Portis smacking him in the jaw. That that was all deliberate. I can I can tell you that now. Um, so if I run down the the win, the teams they've beaten um, over the last seven the seven game winning streak, uh-huh. you can just say to me, I think that would have been a a win, a win or a loss before the game. And obviously, you know they won them all. So at Charlotte, would you have expected to win that or lose that before the game or before the season began? began? Before the game, I've lost Knicks at home. At in New York or in Chicago, you mean? In Chicago. Loss. Boston in Chicago. Loss. Jazz in Chicago. Loss. At the Bucks. Loss. Sixers at home. Loss. And the Magic at home. Yeah, that could be a win. Okay, so... I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give them Orlando. Okay, so they should be one and six in that time. Yeah. <laughs> the, bu- the Bucks <laughs> just, is incredible. I just don't think this team is good enough. I just don't think this is a good NBA team, if you look at the players. I just think this was a... Uh, this was a how do you say it? Uh, a really good G League team. Yeah, or maybe not even that. Um, nah. My last surprise of the season, and it's another Laker topic. Uh, and I've kind of cheated here. I've gone two and one. So I have to preface this by saying that I think Lonzo Ball is really improving the last couple couple of games, and I think he's going to be a good NBA player. But I've combined. Just how mediocre Lonzo Ball is looking offensively and just how strong Brandon Ingram looks. Uh, I'll start with Ingram. If you watch him, go to the Golden State game. He bounces off defenders. When he drives to the basket, he looks the same in, in terms of stature, but he takes contact now. He looks stronger um, and off the ball as well. And He's shooting the ball. He wants the big shot. The Sixers three he hit. Um, he he he's getting those minutes, and I didn't I didn't understand the Lakers' fascination with him uh, for the for the first season. I didn't understand it. The the front office saying he's untradeable. To me, he just looked too skinny, too light. Didn't understand that he would ever evolve into a good player. This year, it's been a massive change. He wants to take the big shot. He's playing big time minutes. He looks strong. He takes contact. He's got multiple ways to score, inside, outside. He's not scared. He's not afraid. He's, he's like Kuzma. He wants the ball at all times. Um, and to go against that, with Lonzo, Golden State again. He banked a shot from the free throw line. He banked it in. He airballed a three. A three <laughs> went in after cannoning off the front of the rim. He hit big shots late, but the crowd were almost overreacting when he did hit a score because... They're surprised when he hits a shot. Um, At least he was aggressive, and I do like him. He's a good NBA player. But that lack of drive mentally and the shot, you know, Ingram sees what the Lakers means. I don't think ball for me taking time in terms of that mental, that mindset to attack and to want to have the ball. He just looks a little bit casual sometimes. Um, So those are my two points: Ingram and Ball. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I always thought. Uh, I always think of what Jalen Rose said about Brandon Ingram, and I totally agreed with him at first. Mm. He's all right, but he's not real. Mm. And I really thought it was it was the way that he could be a good player, a fine NBA player, but not 
he's not not the second coming of Kevin Durant like everybody was saying. But now he's evolving. I still don't think he's uh, a skilled scorer like Durant was when he came out of Texas. Not at all. But he's he's turning into a potential all-star. And that's that's better than what I thought of him. Um, I also didn't understand why the, the Lakers were so high on him before. Why they wouldn't include him in trade packages. But now I see why they, they believe in his potential. Why they believe he can be such a, yeah, such a game-changing player for them. And such an important player in their future. He's relentless. Mm-hmm. He became relentless. Uh, he's not afraid, like you said, he's not afraid to go to the hoop. He's not afraid to take contact. He's not afraid to um, to take his responsibility. And that's and a then big got, change, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. He, he's, he's also, he's got, he had that nonchalance uh, about him. Um, just like Lonzo has, Lonzo has it times 10, but Ingram has that look on his face sometimes. Like, you, you don't know if he wants it, if he wants to play, if he wants to win. Um, that changed. And the Lonzo Ball thing, yeah. He is like that, I think. That's his just his character, but it's weird. And I would, I wouldn't like to play with a player who looks like that all the time. I want fire in my team. I want someone who, who, who yeah, who makes me want to win. And I don't have that feeling with Lonzo Ball. That's no. We're, we're judging a rookie again. <laughs> but no, but literally judging what we see and a vo- and a vocal leader as well. He isn't. And my last thing on Ball is half court scoring is so important in the NBA, especially in the playoffs. And can he shoot on the move around a screen? If a power forward or a big man is switched onto him in the offense, can he attack him? You know, can he shoot over him? Can he step back and score? The ability... I mean, Kevin Arnovitz at ESPN had a great line about uh, Ball. He said that, and I'm paraphrasing, that you know he wouldn't be a Hall of Famer, but he would be responsible for the next guy who is for the Lakers. So, yeah. you know, and that kind of sums it up. He'll be a facilitator, but... Maybe he'll never be a great scorer. But I like what I see with the Lakers. They're a fun team to watch. Go, you should go and watch the Rockets highlights from yesterday if you haven't seen it. I mean, they just, they're just fun. And yeah, thank you, thank you, Luke Walton. Yeah. Uh, because when, that's, that's one of the things um, we haven't talked about, about what Luke Walton is doing for that team. If you look at how the Lakers are playing, you see some, some Phil Jackson in there. You see some Steve Kerr in there. You see some Popovich because he learned from Steve Kerr. You see all these different influences. And then you have, of course... Walton's own basketball mind, and he's a great basketball um, thinker. He has got a great basketball IQ. He's he's Bill Walton's son, one of the yeah. smartest NBA players. And yeah, that's a player we we also always forget because he's been, he he was injured so much in his uh, playing career. But that was a great and a really smart player when he played for the Blazers and later for the Celtics uh, when he when he was healthy. That all plays into it and I think the Lakers are playing great basketball yeah the, they can be happy you, about their future you've got your three now you've got Ingram Kuzma and Ball and yes you don't know what you've got with Randall you might not know what you've got with Clarkson but those three for me and they're all so young they're so young that, mm, they are that they, patience with Luke Walton is going to be there with Magic and Palinka. you've just got a it's a big summer for them you know who, who is who is seeing this talent and believes in it does LeBron believe in it? Does Paul George believe in it? Do the Lakers believe in Paul George? How much, is, how much has his stock dropped this season? So it's going to be really fascinating to see how they build up around that. And just speaking of Lonzo, did you see um, LeVar Ball's league? He's got the idea for high school top prospects that don't want to go to yeah. college. And the, he's, he's guaranteeing three to $10,000 a month for these players. And everyone's going to win the, wear the big baller brand gear. So funny, though, that... Obviously, we all know Jerry West is the silhouette on the NBA logo, 
that Lavar has had has got a picture of Lonzo, a silhouette of Lonzo Ball dunking, and he has said nobody dribbles anymore. So now Lavar Ball is taking a shot at the NBA logo and Jerry West. Yeah, Lavar Ball. Love uh, it. I, I wonder where does he get his money. That's how what I was he, thinking. How did he get the How did he get the big house? Go on. What did he do? Go on. Well, he's got the reality show. Go on BigBallerBrand.com or wherever it is. All you see is merch. Like they're just selling crap, and that's that's how they make the money. It's just sell, sell, sell. Do you want a? No, uh, okay, but before that, before that, they already were living in the house when when Lonzo was in high school. So how did they do that? I, I, I really, I, it's not my business actually to, to, to uh, know where somebody gets his money from. I but. think he was, I think they were doing street shows. So they had the three ball brothers were, you know, they had a hat in front of them and they were doing some basketball skills on the street. I don't know. It's a good point. With LeVar, with LeVar in a bear suit or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Just running around in a panda suit <laughs> doing handstands. <laughs> well, oh, that will be funny. Oh, I hope they do that at halftime of the All Star game. What an image! What an image! Uh, it's not <laughs> the last we've heard of Loire Ball, but that was fun. Um, so those were our ten surprises. They're going to be plenty more next year. Um, Christmas Day with Curry out. What game are you going to watch? If you had to pick I'm, one, I'm, I'm broadcasting two games, two games You're in a row. I'm going to be live on TV for six hours straight, starting oh, with man. Philly, New York, and then Golden State, Cleveland. So uh, it's going to be a a really hectic day for me. Your <laughs> really, girlfriend is going to A really hard day you. too, but, but, but nice to do. So I'm going six hours straight live uh, on Play Sports here in Belgium to uh, to broadcast the two games. Say goodbye to your family then. <laughs> they're, they're not they already be ha- know it. They already know it. It's, um, my, my girlfriend's family's got two Christmas parties, so I'm going to one the next day on Boxing Day. Uh, I have to do uh, Premier League football first uh, until six in the evening, so I can still uh, catch on later. But I'm missing one one party that's okay right if i miss one and i get and i catch one that's better than the last a couple of years i i never was there that yeah. you li- work man work live the dream you're broadcasting <laughs> nba games that's go if if you do happen to have play sports in your area go and watch go and watch <laughs> that go and listen to dennis um <laughs> all those all those british guys <laughs> <laughs> oh i tell you what everyone here is subscribed to play sports tv everyone of course, of course. <laughs> if I could, if I could get it, I would. I would. I'm. Maybe you should send me the tape. I really want to. I'm fascinated to hear you. I'm curious how many words you would understand. How many Dutch words? Uh, because you've got you've got some Dutch history, so I'm wondering ding, how much LeBron, you would understand. LeBron is lekker. <laughs> that's maybe that's it. Maybe you can drop that in for me. I will. I, I certainly will do that. And I, I will make a video of that and uh, I'll send it to you on Twitter or something like that. Thank you, Val, Dennis. Thank you, <laughs> oh, Look at that pronunciation. Oh, wow. it's so good. How many English words do you have? Quite a lot. Quite a lot. <laughs> In, enough. Enough to have a conversation with you, apparently. <laughs> okay, well, happy holidays, as they say. And uh, enjoy your time off, which you don't have any of. Um, and I'll speak to you in January. You too, my man. You too. And uh, we'll see each other soon. Thank you to my guest today, Dennis Sight of Play Sports TV, NBA commentator over there. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can tweet me at Max underscore Whittle. Just some housekeeping, please. If you can spread the word about the podcast, you'd be doing me a massive favor. You can head to iTunes and rate and review the podcast there. And we're also available on blogtalkradio.com. So please share the show. And please tweet me with any questions you have. I'd love to get you involved on the program. Have a great Christmas and a happy new year to everyone. I'll be back in the new year and there will be so much to talk about. I'll speak to you then. 